You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading this episode. I encourage you to subscribe to the Bible Prophecy Talk feed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, today I'm going to start a series where I'm going to be playing the audio from the chapters that I am producing for an upcoming book. And they may not be in the right order. I'm going to be all over the place, really. So some of these chapters will be, you know, chronologically in the middle or end of the book or maybe even for uh, a subsequent book. But in any case, they are going to be chapters for a book. So um, I would appreciate your feedback if there is anything wrong in it. It's good time to go ahead and correct that before I put it in print. So without any further ado, I will play this. Well, actually, I do have a little bit more ado. I'm going to put out a podcast probably in the next few days that is the product of some research I've been doing recently about the Jewish belief of the Messiah, the current view of what the world will be like when Messiah comes back according to tradition in Judaism today. It will blow your mind. I really feel like I have uh, cracked the case on some of this stuff. I've never heard anybody talk about this stuff, which is weird because it seems to be such a prevalent view. And let me tell you, it has major consequences for what we've been talking about here. So I'll put that out in the next few days. Also, I mentioned the debate that uh, hopefully will be up soon. As soon as it is, I will play it on this podcast. So stay tuned for that. So the chapter that I'm about to play for you is the product of quite a bit of research into the church fathers. It was pretty much necessary to do this preliminary research about the church fathers to demonstrate that they almost unanimously believed that the Antichrist would be Jewish and that he would present himself as the Jewish Messiah. Um, it wasn't the most easy research to do. It's not the most fun thing to search through all the writings of the church fathers, but thankfully it's made a lot easier nowadays with uh, uh, computer programs and you can use search terms and that kind of thing. But Okay, so when I read this out, it's only about 15 minutes or so long, so it's not too much to sit through. And uh, without any further delay, for real this time, here we go. The notion that the Antichrist, when he appears, would seek to convince the Jews that he is their long-awaited Messiah is unquestionably the earliest view of the Church. It should first be noted that one should never look to the Church Fathers alone as a way to determine the truth of Scripture. The early church fathers were fallible, like all of us, and they sometimes got certain points of doctrine wrong. It is my view that any doctrine must be determined through the study of the scriptures alone, and I will spend considerable effort trying to do just that in the next chapter. That being said, finding agreement in the earliest writers of the Christian church can bolster one's case and assure them that they are not coming up with a new doctrine. Agreement among the church fathers can be especially noteworthy if the view can be demonstrated to be held by the majority of the writers, particularly those writing in the first few centuries after the apostles. Of particular note among the church fathers that believed that the Antichrist would present himself as the Jewish Messiah are Irenaeus and Hippolytus. These are the two earliest church fathers to write extensively about the Antichrist, particularly Hippolytus. This is given extra weight when you consider that both of these men can trace their teachings directly back to the Apostle John through Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, and who in turn discipled Irenaeus, who taught Hippolytus. Some of the other church fathers that I would include here are Tertullian, John Chrysostom, Cyril of Jerusalem, John Damascene, Rufinus of Aquileia, Sulpicius Severus, Victorinus of Patau, and Methodius of Olympus. 
I suspect there would be a lot more church fathers to add to this list if we knew what more of them thought about the Antichrist, but unfortunately, very few church fathers wrote extensively about their views on this point. I will start with a few quotes from the writings of Hippolytus, not simply because he was one of the first to mention the Antichrist in his writings, but also because he wrote more about eschatology than any of the others. He said things like, quote, Christ arose from among the Hebrews, and he, that is the Antichrist, will spring from among the Jews. Also, quote, For in every respect the deceiver seeks to make himself appear like the Son of God. The Savior was circumcised, and he, that is the Antichrist, in like manner, will appear in circumcision, that is, that he will be Jewish. Also, quote, But seeing how that we must make proof of what is alleged at greater length, we shall not shrink from the task, for it is certain that he is destined to spring from the tribe of Dan. Hippolytus states not just that the Antichrist will, quote, spring from among the Jews, but that he believed he would specifically come from the tribe of Dan. I will attempt to show that, although Hippolytus may have had what I like to call pet theories about the Antichrist, like this theory that he would come from the tribe of Dan, which may or may not be accurate, he did not base his belief about the Jewishness of the Antichrist on his pet theories. Instead, he used them only to support and bolster the case of his main thesis, which he and other church fathers derived from more common places like Daniel 11, John 5.43, Second Thessalonians 2, and others. Hippolytus is not the only church father that directly stated that he believed that the Antichrist would be ethnically Jewish. There are a number of others. John Chrysostom said, quote, Antichrist will be possessed by Satan and be the illegitimate son of a Jewish woman from the East. Also, Methodius of Olympus said, quote, Even the Antichrist will enter Jerusalem, where he will enthrone himself in the temple as God, even though he will be an ordinary man of the tribe of Dan, to which Judas Iscariot also belonged. The following are a few quotes demonstrating the prevalent view of the church fathers that the Antichrist would seek to convince the Jews that he was their Messiah. John Damascene said, quote, the Jews accordingly did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God and God, but received the impostor who calls himself God, for that he will assume the name of God, the angel teaches Daniel, saying these words, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Also, quote, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In the temple of God, he said, not our temple, but the old Jewish temple, for he will come not to us, but to the Jews not for Christ or the things of Christ, wherefore he is called Antichrist. Also, quote, But in a particular and special sense, he who comes at the consummation of the age is called Antichrist. He will come to refute the Jews. For the Lord said to them, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Irenaeus said, quote, The Lord also spoke as follows to those who did not believe in him. I have come in my Father's name, and ye have not received me. When another shall come in his own name, him you will receive, calling Antichrist the other, because he is alienated from the Lord. This is also the unjust judge, whom the Lord mentioned as one who feared not God, neither regarded man, to whom the widow fled in her forgetfulness of God, that is, the earthly Jerusalem, to be avenged of her adversary, which also she shall do in the time of his kingdom. He shall remove his kingdom into that city, and shall sit in the temple of God, leading astray those who worship him, as if he were the Christ." Zenobius of Florence said, quote, Antichrist, the son of perdition, will be born in Chorazin, will be brought up in Bethsaida, and shall begin his reign in Capernaum, according to what our Lord Jesus said in the Gospel, Woe to thee, Chorazin, woe to thee, Bethsaida, and thou, Capernaum, that are exalted up to heaven, thou shalt be thrust down to hell. Antichrist shall work a thousand prodigies on earth. He will make the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead rise, so that even the elect, if possible, shall be deceived by his magical arts. 
Puffed up with pride, Antichrist shall enter in triumph the city of Jerusalem, and will sit on a throne in the temple to be adored as if he were the Son of God. His heart being intoxicated with arrogance, he will forget his being a mere man and the son of a woman of the tribe of Dan. It should be mentioned that there was a minority view among the church fathers that the Antichrist would be Nero, the Roman emperor, who by that time had already been killed. But those that believed he would be the Antichrist argued that he would rise from the dead at some point. The interesting thing about this view of Nero is that even those church fathers that believed that the resurrected Nero would be the Antichrist also believed that the resurrected Nero would still have to convince the Jews that he was their Messiah. The relatively few men that argued this point came up with interesting ideas of how this scenario could come about. What I would like to draw your attention to in the following quotes is the fact that they went to the trouble to argue such an improbable scenario about how Nero could convince the Jews that he was their Messiah, and how that shows that they took for granted that the Antichrist had to be the Messiah to the Jews. Victorinus of Patau said, quote, Now that one of his heads was, as it were, slain to death, and that the stroke of his death was directed, he speaks of Nero, for it is plain that when the cavalry sent by the Senate was pursuing him, he himself cut his throat. Him, therefore, when raised up, God will send as a worthy king, but worthy in such a way as the Jews merited. And since he is to have another name, he shall also appoint another name, so that the Jews may receive him as if he were the Christ. Says Daniel, he shall not know the lust of women, although before he was most impure, he shall know no God of his fathers, for he will not be able to seduce the people of the circumcision unless he is a judge of the law. Finally, also, he will recall the saints, not to the worship of idols, but to undertake circumcision, and if he is able to seduce any, for he shall so conduct himself as to be called Christ by them. To restate the importance of this point, the fact that these church fathers, who argued that Nero would be the Antichrist, felt compelled to concoct a scenario in which a resurrected Nero takes on a Jewish name and becomes a, quote, judge of the law, shows how entrenched or non-negotiable the idea that the Antichrist must at least claim to be Jewish was in the early church. There is no other reason to argue for such an unlikely series of events unless you felt you had to. Others, like Tertullian, who believed that the Antichrist would be Jewish, yet still wanted to incorporate the view that Nero would play a role in some way, envisioned the scenario this way, quote, The Goths will conquer Rome and redeem the Christians, but then Nero will appear as the heathen Antichrist, reconquer Rome, and rage against the Christians three years and a half. He will be conquered in turn by the Jewish and real Antichrist from the East, who, after the defeat of Nero and the burning of Rome, will return to Judea, perform false miracles, and be worshipped by the Jews. This idea of a double or false Antichrist reappears in the writings of Lactantius. I suggest that this idea, again, of the relatively few church fathers that wanted to expand on what I might call the pop view of the day, that Nero would be involved in the last days, still did not let that take away from their view that the Antichrist would be a false Jewish messiah, but instead came up with various ways to make both of them work together. I think we can safely say that the early church fathers believed that the Antichrist would be Jewish, or at least that he would need to pretend to be Jewish in order to convince the Jews that he was their messiah. So why did the early church fathers believe so strongly that the Antichrist would be a false messiah to the Jews? We will look at what scriptures they quoted in support of their belief in a moment, but I would like to make the case that they could have been so convinced of this idea simply as a result of being very familiar with the Greek language in which the New Testament was written. Many of the church fathers read and wrote in Greek, and I believe this could have made a dramatic impact in shaping their understanding of the doctrine of the Antichrist. Take the very title Antichrist. For instance, the word means against 
opposite to, instead of, or in place of, Christ, a word which means Messiah. We tend to hear that word Christ and rightly associate it with Jesus Christ. But in reality, the meaning is simply anointed, and it is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Although Jesus is indeed the true Messiah, the word often stands on its own to simply mean a king who will be sent by God to save the Jews, from Webster's Dictionary. I suggest that when the early church read that they were to expect a false messiah, or anti-messiah, they were simply accepting the scriptures at face value when they expected that the Antichrist would claim to be the messiah. Also consider these warnings from the Lord. In Matthew 24, 23-24 it says, Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This is interesting because Jesus says the Christ, using the definite article the to indicate that someone would claim to be the Messiah to the Jews. He is apparently warning people not to believe in any of these false messiahs in the end times. Unless one is going to try to say that we should look at the words of the Lord here allegorically, to simply mean a leader or something more generic, then we must admit that the original language in this case, or in the title of Antichrist, strongly supports that this man would present himself as the Messiah to the Jews. More important than these general ideas is what scriptures did they directly quote when making their case that the Antichrist would be Jewish. Since I will spend a lot of time in later chapters discussing these verses and a number of others, I will refrain from commenting on them here, and I will simply list some of the passages that the early church fathers have cited as support for their belief. To restate my goal here, please note that some of these passages that they cite make a stronger case than others, and they leave out some verses that I think apply. I am simply constructing a list of the verses I have noted the church fathers use, and at this point I am doing so without judgment as to their validity. John 5.43 I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Daniel 11.37 Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Ezekiel 28, 9-10 Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? But thou shalt be a man, and no God, in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Daniel eleven forty five, And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Isaiah fourteen twenty through 21 Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land, and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children, for the iniquity of their fathers, that they do not rise, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities. Second Thessalonians 2.4 Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Matthew 24.15-16 Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Daniel 9.27a Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Luke 10.13-15 Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you, and for you, Capernaum, you are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Genesis 49.17, also Jeremiah 8.16. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path, that bites the horse's heel, so that its rider shall fall backward. 
In the next chapter, I will add a few more verses to this list and begin to lay out the case that some of them argue strongly for a Jewish Antichrist. Today's episode is brought to you by AudibleTrial.com. Sign up for a 30-day trial and get a free audiobook download. You can keep your free audiobook even if you cancel your free trial, which you can do at any time, no strings attached. Just go to this link, audibletrial.com slash chris. I will also put a link to the free trial page on the footer of my websites. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from. For your free audiobook, I would recommend something from the Great Courses series. These usually retail around $50 each, and they contain university-level courses. Or you might like to download an audio Bible in your favorite version. The ESV, or the New King James Version, retails for close to $50, but you can get one of them for free if you go to this very specific URL, audibletrial.com slash chris. This is pretty much a win-win situation. You get a free audiobook, and Audible supports this show. All you have to do is go to this specific URL so that they know I sent you, audibletrial.com slash chris, or go to the link in the footer of any of my websites. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed. 